think I'm up and running. All right, let's look at um, 2 Samuel with your Bible, chapter 22, 23, and 24 today. Second Samuel 22 starts with, mine says, David's Psalm of Deliverance. Just so you know, there's a, a very close version of this in uh, Psalm 18, um, except it looks like it's written for worship. So it says at the top, to the song leader, and has notes ready. So it looks like um, this song written by David was... Um, modified but made into a worship um, song as well. So um, I want to point out a couple of things about this. Let me find my spot on here. Um, I want to remember that Moses wrote a song too, Deuteronomy um, 32. And the structure of the Moses' song sounds something like this. Um, Moses' prayer life bothers me. Let's start there. And the reason it bothers me is um, he was up on the mountain and had the burning bush experience. And he says to God in the middle of that burning bush experience, how will I know this is you? How will I know this is what you want me to do? Is this your will? I mean, I've had all those questions. And does anybody remember what his answer is? When it's all over, I'll meet you back here. I don't like that answer. I want to know that I'm going the right way now. And God's answer to Moses is, when it's done, you'll be able to look back and see that it happened. Which is probably true of us, too. So Moses' song, look what is looking back. It is, look what God has done for us. Look, here's his promise. He delivered his promise, and it's a look forward, too. It's warnings, and here's where you're going, and be careful. Stick to the, the law. Stick to the word. David's looks just like that. David's looks like it's a look back, and it says, um, you have delivered me from my enemies. You have secured me. You have been my rock. I mean, look at all these metaphors throughout here. I took refuge in me, in you. You, you uh, held me. You, all of those things are the look back. And then there's the look forward that really looks forward to. In fact, he gets a promise that says, and your family will sit on the throne forever. So to me, both of these... Um, these songs are uh, looking back, recognizing what God has done for them, both Moses and David, and then a look forward to the blessings that come with it, the um, hope, the, the promises, um, all of that. And I frankly, um, I read a couple of things. Let's see if I've got, yeah. And I think it also says, um, as you read through David's song, you'll see um, this was very personal. This was not an instruction. This was David's life. This was, um, I was surrounded by my enemies. I was trapped. And you delivered me from that. Um, I think there's a very personal feeling to David's song as you read through that. And then I think there's a suggestion. It's not really 
specific, but I think there's a suggestion, and if you will follow my statutes, follow the decrees, follow, if you'll live a blameless life, then you too will be protected by God in the same way. So I think it's not only a personal testimony and a song, um, but it is a, um, a, an encouragement um, for others to say, walk this way, because this is the way of God, um, one of faith, one of trust, um, and He is one who will deliver. I also um, read, um, one of the books I read this week says, suggested it was a beatitude. David's beatitude. Um, just like blessed are that Jesus gave us, David said, blessed will you be if. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who live clean. Blessed are that this was a beatitude. And so it, it gave me, um, this is Frisbee theory number one. I wonder if Jesus, when he was living, wasn't reminding the Jewish people, look, remember David, I'm here. I am the righteous king. Remember David, here are the Beatitudes. Remember David, I, I wonder if, because you know everyone who heard Jesus knew all of these songs and stories, and I wonder if he wasn't just pulling those forward and saying, um, remember, David was promised lineage. Here I am. I'm, I'm here. This, uh, remember when Jesus walked into the sanctuary one day and just said, um, this passage has been fulfilled in your presence today. I get the feeling that was Jesus' way of drawing all those Old Testament things forward. All right, let me pause. Thoughts, comments. Questions. David's prayer is certainly more personal than Moses. Certainly more personal. Yeah, it's definitely it's his. Moses seems to have been more of a national prayer, more of a for the people, for the. Um, yeah, it's very personal. But could also go back to the fact that Moses didn't think he was good with words. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's very possible. He didn't, didn't have, at least initially, didn't have the confidence to say I should be the spokesperson or um, maybe even confidence that I'm the right guy for this. Okay, um, looking back, we've talked about that. Then we have a list of valiant soldiers, and I won't go through all the valiant soldiers, but starting in 23... Verse 8, you get a list of all the people. It's almost as if I said earlier, as if David is telling us, um, I didn't do this alone. Um, I had a whole lot of strong people surrounding me, um, literally. Um, so I want to look at the census. Um, and then I'll, we'll turn it over to Hilton to wrap us up. So here's the census. Um, the Lord becomes angry. I'm in verse 1 of chapter 24. The Lord becomes angry with David. Um, 
because David had said, go number Israel and Judah. I want to know how many soldiers I have. I want to know how big my army is. I want to know how strong I am. Register the people. Um, Joab says, don't do it. Um, the Lord will give you a hundred times more people, but just don't do this. Um, why, does, why does the king delight in this? Why does he want to do this thing? But David persisted. Um, they crossed. They counted everybody. Joab actually left some people out. But um, he comes back. He gives them the number. And in verse 10, David is, um, is troubled in his heart. He realizes that he shouldn't have done this. And a plague comes on the land um, in verse 15 as a result of this, um, this sin. So my question is, if I look at Exodus 30, let me scoot back there and read that. In Exodus 30, God says to Moses, as he's writing this, you shall make an altar as a place for burning incense. He goes down how big the altar is. And then in verse 12 of Exodus 30, the Lord says to Moses, when you take a census of the sons of Israel to number them, each of them will put in a ransom, a shekel, half a shekel actually, when you number them, so there won't be a plague among the people. So my question is, why did the plague come on David? If he was, in fact, counting the soldiers from verse 14 of Exodus 30, count everyone from 20 years older, so that those who can go to war. It seems like it was the same thing David was doing why do you think that happened? Um, on, when David did? Oh, no, he told him, when you, when you count the people, make sure they all chip in a half a shekel um, for the church. Uh, yeah, so it sounds like, David, well, but David counted the soldiers. Yeah, Joab said, don't do it. This is, this, this is the wrong, maybe, maybe Joab was speaking for God and saying, stop, don't do this. Okay. Others, what do you think? Well, in Chronicles, uh, we are told that Satan. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. First Chronicles 21, I, I 1 through 17. Yeah, Job was kind of saying, don't do this. This is, yeah, he'll give you everything you he want. He didn't seem to have that confidence or, or for some reason he wasn't trusting. Or something. I'm going to pick another word. I wonder if he might have been a little arrogant at the time. Um, Terry, the way I read this is that God is angry at David for really our unknown reason. It says his anger was kindled against Israel. And God, God tells David, 
go count the people of Israel and Judah. So God, this is a command from God to go count them. And, and I really, I don't know why God was angry, but apparently he was angry. And he gives, the way I read it, he gives David that command. So maybe it's an unknown reason that goes with it. Yeah, it seems, that's what it seems to me, because the way I read it, God's, God gives David a direct command. says, go count the people of Israel and Judah. But Job warns him. Job says, don't do it. I know. This is the wrong thing to yeah. do. Um. But, I mean, didn't convince him, obviously. He went out and did it anyway. Um, and the pestilence came upon the land. Um, I don't, this is a perplexing one for me. I don't have an answer for this. I do think there is something about David's attitude that's in this. The same warning Joab gave David is the same warning Nathan gave David when he said about Bathsheba, when he said, you could have had... I'd have given you more than you've got now. I gave you your your um, I gave you the king's house. I gave you the king's wives. I gave you the arm. I gave you everything, and I'd have given you more. And you went out and killed Bathsheba's husband. So it sounds like the same to me. It sounds like the same kind of warning that Joab was giving him here. Uh, that's true. He goes out and um, he buys a, a place to build an altar, and he try, I think he's making atonement or amends or something to God at that point in time. Yeah. Well, I, and I wonder if it's maybe, yes, you, I told you to take a census, but you didn't do it the right way. Yeah. Either. Yeah. You did it your own way, and now we need to. It could have been. I don't, I, it's like, I think George said, it's, we don't have all the picture here, but there was something awry. Maybe David's attitude, maybe not taking the shekel, not collecting the, the uh, money to go. Toward, it was for God. I mean, it was for that. And he does say at the end of this chapter, um, when uh, Arana says to the king, look, I'll give it to you. Take, take what you want. And David says in verse 24 of chapter 24, I surely will buy this from you. I will not make an offering to the Lord which costs me nothing. So there is something, uh, maybe something there that says there's a payment that should be involved um, for this, um, for this am amends that goes into that. All right. Yes, one more and then Hilton. Yeah. Um, a famine, a plague, or having uh, running from the enemies for three years. And I just thought it was interesting that it, and not shocking that a warrior king who was rather proud of his, how many army men he had and how many battles he won and all this didn't want to spend three years looking weak. Yeah. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I never could figure out why he picked that one. Um um, I, I, I had the other thought, actually, and I'll give it to Hilton. I thought, I'm, I'm a fighter. I can do this. I wondered if he wouldn't have picked that one anyway. So, I don't know. So, anyway, if you stop reading at the end of Second Samuel, you don't know the end of the story. <laughs> you have all these uh, issues with David, but he's still on the throne. He's still alive. If we go to Second uh, First Kings, chapter 1 and chapter 2, 
in the tenth verse, you get the end of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. And those of you who are not old enough to know who Paul Harvey is, <laughs> too bad. What happened to the all right. There we go. Okay, so the rest of the story. Chapter 1, 1 through 4. He's approximately 70 years old, and this makes me feel really tough because I'm 72. Makes us all feel tough, doesn't it, Brother Bob? It says he's very old at 70. He's not, that's not old. That's a youngster, right? But he has no matter how many blankets. Now, John, you've promised me that in my old age you will bring me the warmest blanket. Scratchy wool. Scratchy wool. <laughs> He can't stay warm. So his advice, remember, this is, these are the days before electric blankets. I guess you could warm bricks and put them in the bed with him, but they get cold pretty quickly. The solution is that we'll find a young virgin, and we'll let her lie in your arms to keep you warm. That's a pretty good solution, I guess. If you're <laughs> So they found the Abishag, they say she's ravishingly beautiful. Different versions say how beautiful she is from Schumann. She waited on him, took care of him, but no sexual relations. So that's the picture. Then in chapter 1, verses 5 through 52, family drama again. You have Adonijah. The verses say that David had never disciplined him. There's nothing worse than to see a grown child behaving untoward as you look back. Now, it's nice to have good children that, that do behave nicely as you look on their behavior. But Adonijah says suddenly, I will become king. Self-appointed, self-announced. He gathers horses, chariots. He has a big feast. He invites only Judeans. Not all the tribes are invited. His, the uh, Joab comes, Abiathar the priest. <laughs> Solomon's not invited, and they have a big time going on. Nathan sounds the alarm. Nathan is the prophet at the time, goes to Bathsheba and says, guess what, Adonijah, son of Haggith, a different wife. Remember all the competition in the household with the different wives. Go at once to the king, and here's what you should say. He tells uh, uh, Bathsheba, say this to the king, did you not promise in the form of a question. Did you not promise to make my son Solomon the king? And so Bathsheba goes, but what does she say? She doesn't say, didn't you promise? She says, you promised me. She makes it a statement, a declaration. If you don't act, my son Solomon and I will become treated as criminals. And it's like one final time an old man can gather the strength to exercise his authority one last time as he says, I decree that Solomon will become king. And he tells Zadok, now Abiathar and Zadok are kind of co-high priests at this time. Abiathar is the last, or is from the lineage of Eli, and we studied in 1 Samuel that the, it's, God tells him, your lineage is going to be punished because of the sins of your sons and they will not be priests at some point. So it's taken many, many years for this to play out, but uh, Biathar has, has thrown his lot with the wrong people uh, with uh, Adonijah. So Zadok, Benaiah, Nathan, 
go anoint Solomon king. They anoint him. He rides on, on David's personal mule. Was that Mule Day from Columbia that you think they got? Okay. Bring him back, sit him on my throne. Adonijah and his guests are finishing up their banquet. They hear the commotion. What's it all about? Solomon's been named king. Guess what? All the guests, they say, flee. They disperse. They've chosen the wrong person. Uh, and then so Solomon spares out of, uh, spares out Adonijah because he's, he's, he sees him as no threat at this point. And then as uh, David is about to die, he gives a charge to Solomon. Last words to a son who's now been appointed his successor. I'm about to die. Take courage. Be a man. Observe the Lord's requirements. Follow His ways. If you do, then the Lord will be faithful to the promise He made to me. That is, somebody from my lineage will be on the throne in Israel. And this becomes, of course, the downfall of Solomon, doesn't it? And we have the divided kingdom. Eventually we have the captivity and the, the kingdom goes away. And then... The last words of David. And oh, by the way, I have a few last words. Some final, oh, let me go back. I forgot the final words. Uh, you remember uh, Joab? You remember Joab? That guy is a bloody guy. He killed Amasa. He killed Abner. You know, I think you should take care of him. You'll know what to do. But he doesn't deserve a calm death, does he? And oh, by the way, be nice to, to the relatives of, uh, what was that guy's name, George? Be nice to? Barzilli. Barzilli. Who was Barzilli? Yeah, when Absalom had tried to take over the throne and David flee, uh, uh, fleed. <laughs> yeah, I guess he did flee. Fled. Fleed. Fled. <laughs> he fleed. <laughs> Uh, you know, your brain just sometimes cannot, <laughs> cannot come up with the word you're looking for. He fled, he fled, he fled, and uh, Barzelli met him and helped supply David with the needs while he was fleeing. And then lastly, you remember the guy that threw rocks at David? Oh, Shimmy, Shimmy, or whatever his name was, threw rocks at me, and then when I came back, he said, oh, I made a mistake, and I said, well, I'm not going to kill you. Well, you know, David says to Solomon, that guy is not innocent. You're a smart man, Solomon. You'll know what to do. This brought to my mind that last scene with Marlon Brando and Al Pacino in The Godfather. As he says, this is what's going to happen when I die. So-and-so will come and they'll try to make a pact with you and you ought to take care of them. So David gives him some last words. And then it says he died, and he's buried. So as you think about what Terry and I have talked about as leaders of the class and what you've thought about in this study, uh, what are some of the, something maybe you haven't thought about before that you did think about this quarter as you went through this with us? Terry? What's, yeah? Uh, the thing that jumped at me in the whole story was, uh, puts in perspective, position in relationship to God, David uh, made a lot of mistakes, 
but John for David, mm -hmm. and but did hold him, hold him accountable, and he had consequences. Yeah, you know, for years and years and years, I wrestled with this idea that David's a man after God's own heart. And you, what does that mean? He certainly was not perfect, full of, uh, of uh, uh, issues where he didn't do what you, you know God would want him to do, and yet he's forgiven. Grace is abundant in his life. And so as I read, even this, this quarter, as I studied that again, and seeing that one commentator who said, maybe it's a, a man after God's own choosing. God chose him because he wanted to. He chose to give him grace, just like Abraham. Abraham was chosen by God to become the vehicle through which the revelation of salvation would come. The issue of parents can always uh, have children that, that make them proud. <laughs> Eli's sons, Samuel's sons, uh, some of David's sons here. Uh, just certainly did not make them proud. Other, other things that you might have focused on this quarter that you hadn't focused on before. I think it's ironic that Solomon is the next king. I mean, he was, he kind of came from a, 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 you know, a, a sin where he brought, you know, his mom. I think it was the ultimate demonstration that God forgave David for what he did. Yeah, this is a this is a real real dilemma to to wrestle with the idea here. Why is Solomon chosen? Because he's the son of an illicit relationship. Murder involved in him getting her, and yet Solomon is the chosen uh, for the lineage of Jesus. You know, why was Rahab in that lineage? Okay. And are so what now? Flawed. They all have great issues, just like us. Mm -hmm. I think we are God's greatest characters, and our families have stuff. You know, as parents, we have stuff. As children, we have stuff. So it's so encouraging that God still uses. David was one of the greatest men to come out of the, the biblical story, and he had so many issues. Mm -hmm. That gives us great hope, especially when you go through stuff and you think, well, I'll never have a ministry because look what, mm -hmm. you know, is going on in my life. Well, yes, you can. Because just like you said, God's grace above it all. Makes you feel better about the presidential election. <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and how would that be, uh, Fred? Explain that. <laughs> help, help us understand that. Fox News says, you know, you, you decide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no matter who's elected president, we know who's in control, and we, we know that eventually, uh, as, uh, as Terry said, we won't know until we look back as to how that, you know, when we were, when we were in St. Petersburg, Florida, that was not our favorite assignment. It was a place lost in the 50s. Uh, the business climate at that time in that area wasn't that great, so there wasn't a lot of professional satisfaction on somebody trying to sell business. Uh, but looking back, uh, some of the relationships we had with people there were important for both for us and for them. And it, it, it was okay. 
but we didn't know that for several years. Yeah. There, I guess there are also consequences to those choices because you know, when we did uh -huh. judge, when we did judges, when God chose the leader, when God chose the person to deliver them out, it was a you know a person who was right for the job at each time. Now we go through Samuel, and right off the bat, we see when the people get what they want, when they get a king, he was flawed and he caused problems, and there were there were consequences to that. Interestingly or not, who who said to anoint Solomon the king? David. David said to anoint his king. Uh, okay, uh, Terry, on behalf of Terry and myself. Thank you all for being in here this quarter, and uh, we just uh, are delighted to have been here and just hope that we all got as much out of it as the two of us did, because we had to study a whole lot to get up here. So anyway, thank you a lot.